You'll take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 28, which was read for us earlier. So we continue our study in the life of Jacob, and last week we, it was a debacle where everybody was doing the wrong things, and thankfully God is the one who is faithful. And so we come to Genesis 28, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to try to strike a bargain with God. If you will allow me to pass this test, I will come to church ten times this year. If you will allow me to not lose my house to taxes, I will do this. And there's multiple opportunities of people throughout history that have tried to strike bargains with God. Martin Luther is one such example as he went and uh, was taken to university and his father wanted him to become a lawyer and spent a lot of money and he became a lawyer very quickly. But at the age of 21, as he was working his way back, a severe thunderstorm hit while he was traveling and a bolt of lightning struck the ground near him, at which point he cries out to his patron saint, help me Saint Anne, he screamed, I will become a monk. And at which point He's saved, and he fulfills his vow, actually, unlike many of us who make bargains with God and then don't fulfill our vows. He fulfills his vow and becomes a monk, but he has something that most people don't know about Luther, is he is scared to die. And so even though he's a good monk, he begins to to walk through the process of what does it mean to live in faith in righteousness, and that's a hard thing for him to, to figure out because he gets the trying to work his way to heaven, but he doesn't get that Jesus comes and gives the free gift. And so as we begin to unpack this a little bit this morning, we want to see that it's God who is faithful. It's God who fulfills his promises. It's not us. And so as we Um, come to this passage, I want you to see a couple of things. One, I want to see you, how he begins to fill the gap in regards to the family, how he listens to Jacob give some inadequate promises to him, and then we're going to look at how God fulfills his promises to his people. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit needs to work in us to give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. And so, Father, we thank you that you give us the real life of real people to show us examples of how you move, how you are the one who remains faithful even when we go our own ways. So, Father, as we come to this passage, Lord, we ask that you would teach us that you definitely would make us look more like our Savior this morning than when we came. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at this a little bit different because we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 to set up the passage, but then we're going to skip to verses 16 through 22 and then come back to the passage where Jacob has the dream. So the first thing we're going to look at is the family in verses 1 through 9. Now there is a right promise that is now going on because again there is lying, cheating, um, misleading that was going on and even mocking in the passage that was before. So now you find, we find ourselves in the midst where uh, Rebecca's come to um, Isaac and said we need to have Jacob leave to find a right mate. Now 
We understand that, again, we are told, and let's make this very practical, that we are told not to become unequally yoked. So we are told in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now again, this is specifically applied to marriages, but it could be applied to business partnerships. It could be applied to many things. It's where there's anything where you're trying to do the things of God, but the people that you're partnered with are not. So we have this understanding that, again, we are called to be in a relationship where we are not going to be unequally yoked. Because we are told we are to become one. And so it is that desire for us to be in a relationship where we are with Christians. And so here you have Isaac and Rebecca wanting Jacob to be in a relationship with someone who is going to have the same beliefs, not going to have like his brother who had married the Hittite women and became a bitterness to the family. See, they had followed after foreign gods. And so he says, I want you to go and find the right mate. Now, a question arises, and, and you, we should begin to ask, well, what happens if you uh, have a mate that becomes unbelieving, or you become a Christian later in life, or they say that they leave the faith? Well, that we still get from second, or 1 Corinthians 7, verses 13 through 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So you have this understanding that, again, we are still called, if we're able to, to be a blessing to those in the relationship. We are called to have the right mate. And so for us, it should be a place, if you're single, you should be praying that God brings you the right mate, the right spouse. For those who are in hard situations, you should be praying, God, how can you use me as a blessing in this relationship, even when things are hard in my marriage? And if you have a great marriage, continue to go deeper, continue to pray for others around you. So we need to make sure that we're in the right relationship that God provides. The second thing is there's a right blessing. So part of our understanding with this passage is it's never too late to change or make the right decision. It's never too late. If you have breath within your life, it is never too late to choose the right thing. And so here we have Rebecca and Jacob coming back. I mean, Rebecca and Isaac coming back together and they're talking, which hasn't happened for a while. They're talking about doing the right things. And so they also give a blessing to the right son. So instead of all this manipulation that God had to work around with the people, they choose the right son and they give God's covenant blessing to him. Not just the blessing of Isaac, but God's covenant blessing. And the reality at this point is we see Jacob obey. Now again, it's good because he obeys his father. It's not just his mom who's obeying, but he is obeying his father. And as he obeys his father, he's told to go on a journey to find a wife. Now, for us to understand, this is a journey of about 550 miles that he has to travel. Now, that's significant because he doesn't have trains. He doesn't have an Uber. He doesn't have a plane or anything like that. He's walking. And so he's on this journey to go and find a mate, and he's going, but he does something that I think is very curious in regards to this. He leaves with nothing. 
Now, if we remember back to the story of Isaac, Abraham wanted him to to receive a mate from this area as well. And so he sent one of his servants, but he sent the servants with multiple servants in gold, and he sent him with uh, money. He sent him to, to seek out the right mate. And so he goes with this entourage, and he goes with the bride price. Now, it seems very curious that Jacob, after he has just received the blessings of God, he's going to receive a double inheritance. He is the one who's going to be rich in the family. He's sent with nothing. So how is he going to pay for his bride? Well, I think you're next week, right? Yeah, so Palmer has to deal with that problem. So he's on this journey... But it's a journey that really doesn't make complete sense yet. But there's also, not only is Jacob obeying his father and doing the right thing, it seems like Esau's making amends. Now, how do we see that? Well, the first thing we look at is that there is displeasure that's going about. For it was Isaac that was directing Jacob to not take the wrong wife. He was teaching Esau. And the word says... Esau saw. So I I think this is where he starts to think of others more than himself, maybe for the first time. Now, again, I put the question, is there a change of heart? Because again, Esau was pretty mad. Esau had taken Hittite women. Uh, Esau didn't care that they were a, a problem to his parents before. He wants to murder his own brother. And when I saw that he goes and takes a wife from Ishmael, I thought he was doing something to, uh, to be very spiteful. Oh, they want Jacob to find a good wife? Well, I'll show them I'll go pick a bad wife. I don't think that's what's going on here. What I think is going on here is as he saw that it was a displeasure to his parents, he goes to his uncle. And chooses a wife of that descendancy. I do believe what Esau is trying to do is to please his parents. And I think it's that way because this is the point where there's a bridge between this point of the scripture in Genesis 27 to where um, Jacob comes back to meet Esau. Remember Esau, Jacob is scared. Jacob still thinks for 20 years that he's away, that his brother Esau still wants to kill him. But the reality is, is that Esau runs out to find Jacob and to hug him. And so there's a bridge between the meeting of Jacob and the meeting of Esau later in the scripture. So I think there is a change of heart. Now, do I believe that he's a Christian? I'm not sure, but it doesn't seem at this point that he is, but there is a change of heart to where he wants to please someone other than himself. So we have the the bridge over the family, but then I want to skip the verses 16 through 22. And here's why, because I think that the dream is the focal point of the passage, And I want to show you how man, or specifically Jacob, responds to what he experiences. Look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. 
So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And then he called the name of that place Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can again come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. Now, there's a lot of inadequacy here with what Jacob's doing. And I want us to see that. So the first thing he is, is he's afraid. He's overwhelmed by having an experience with God. Now again, just the chapter before, he's mocking God. He's lied to his father. He's cheated them out of, a, out of the birthright. He's cheated them out of the blessing. And so here he is, um, even at a place where he's mocking God to his own father. But here he sees God. And as he sees God, he has what I would call a God moment. It's a life changing where his consciousness of God's presence and his awesomeness comes to light for him. Now, again, I want you to understand that he has been introduced to God before. His parents did tell him he was, he would have been circumcised. He would have been consecrated to be holy. He was a holy child. So this is a re a reintroducing of God to him. And what this does is it gives us the opportunity, uh, again, for those who maybe have walked away from the faith. There are those who, who become bored with it. They, there are many who say, um, I've walked away from the faith in my teens or in my early 20s. When I was away at college, I walked away from God. There's always the opportunity to come home. Again, it's never too late with God. He's always has his arms open wide for us still to run back to him. And so he makes himself known to Jacob during this dream. Now, Jacob misunderstands because he calls the place Bethel. Now, we understand from our theology that God is omnipresent. He's here. And so we make statements that God is everywhere. So wouldn't everywhere be holy that God is? Yes. So why are we saying that specific places are holy? Why would we say that Moses was on holy ground? Well, of course he was on holy ground. Everywhere that God was, it was holy. But there's a difference that happens when God meets us in a specific place. It is why we say that church is holy. It's separated as a place, a unique place. And yes, church is the people, but there is something unique when you cross the threshold of a church that preaches the gospel. Because this is a place where you meet the living God in a very real way. And so this is holy ground. But Jacob didn't get it. He thought that this was just simply a place where God was there. Not everywhere, but he thought God was only there. And so somehow he stumbled upon the gate to heaven itself. And so what does he do? The first thing he does is he gives vows. Now let's ask the question about vows, because in the Old Testament people were, were told to give vows, and you can give a good vow. Like Hannah did when she gave Samuel to God. 
But there's also bad vows or evil vows. And we can remember that from Jephthah in Judges chapter 11 when he cries out to God and says, If you allow me to defeat the Ammonites, the first thing that comes out of my house, I will give to you as a burnt offering to celebrate the peace that you've given to me. And the first thing that comes out of his house is his daughter. So are vows important? Yes, but be very careful. God takes vows seriously. And so when Jacob comes and begins to give a vow, the first thing we see is that it's inadequate. It's an inadequate promise because Jacob has just heard from God in the dream and Jacob turns it around. He doesn't make it about God, he makes it about himself. He says, God, if you are to do these things, if you're going to bless me, if you're going to give me this stuff, and you're going to let me come back home after this long journey of finding this wife, then I'm going to let you be my God. Do we understand the audacity of that statement? God, if you do some things for me, then I'm going to, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to let you be my God. How does that sound? And to be Jacob's God, well, that's, that's saying something in this world. So he gives an inadequate promise, but he also sets up an inadequate memorial. Because he takes the rock that he was sleeping on, and he sets it up as a pillar. Now, there's a big distinction between being set up as a pillar, just a marker for where you meet God. What he should have done, and what he ultimately does do when he comes back to the spot, is he should have set up a temp- uh, an altar. That's what his forefather Abraham did in this place. This is the exact spot. And Abraham did what was right. He set up an altar so that he might worship the living God. Jacob is only putting a place of remembrance. And then the third thing that he gives, he gives an inadequate gift. He takes God's blessing. He says, God, if you bless me, you know what you get? You get 10%. I know you're giving me everything, but listen, the more you give me, the more you get. I mean, isn't Jacob a good salesman? Hey, the more you buy on this car, the better it's going to be for you. You need all these bells and whistles. You need all these added charges. Now, just because I get a good commission check, that's beside the point. But God listens to everything that Jacob says But God knows all of our inadequate bargains with him. We all give inadequate bargains. And we're the only part of creation that has the audacity to think that we give something to God. We have nothing to give. We have nothing to offer that he doesn't already have. So the point of the passage goes back to verses 10 through 15. It says, Jacob left and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put under his head and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord 
the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So it's God's promise That's the big deal. And so he encounters Jacob in the dream. And he has this encounter and he gives to him this, the message that it is he, God. I am. Remember those great words that he gave to, um, to Moses? I am. I am the God. But it's God who comes to Jacob. Jacob doesn't go to God. Jacob's not seeking God. He's seeking a mate. It's God who comes to Jacob. And it's not Jacob's ladder. It's God's ladder. Jacob doesn't do anything with the ladder. He sees it. That's all he gets to do. He sees it, and yet he has the encounter with God. But God is showing him in a very real way, the bridging of the gap between God and man. Through the ladder that we see. Because the ladder is Jesus. Now how do we know that? Look at John chapter 1, verses 45 through 51. And you can turn to it or if you can just want to read it. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? For you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's Jesus. He is the gap. He is the ladder that allows God to come to man. And Jesus takes it upon himself and he says, here are the promises of God. I'm going to give you the heritage of your forefathers for the God of Abraham and Isaac is as God defines himself. For it tells us that it's the importance of teaching the next generation to know scriptures. We are to train up a child in the way that he should go. Whether it be our children or our grandchildren or any children that come into our relationship. We are held accountable for the heritage that is passed on. And so we have this great heritage that God promises us through Christ. But he also says there are physical blessings that come with this. And for them it was land and offspring. But he tells us it's the church. It's the kingdom of God. 
We will never be left alone. We will never be forsaken. We will be with Him forever in the new earth, in the new heavens. And we're going to have brothers and sisters around us. We're going to have the family members that we've lost. We're going to have the opportunity to be and to be known fully. And so we have the opportunity to have the physical blessing. But then he says to him, you're going to have nations. Sorry. You're going to have these nations and you're going to bless all of the earth. You, the church, you are the missionaries. It's not just people who are paid. You are the ones to go out and tell of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are the ones to set people free, to set people out of their captivity, to tell them the good news about Christ. You are the missionaries wherever God has placed you. And we are called to do more than just wave when we put our garage doors down. They should know that you are a Christian by your love. Is it easy? No. Is it easy to love people who still allow their pets to to defecate on your yard and don't pick it up? No. People that cut you off in traffic to love them? No. People who you give friendship to that, that, that turn on you? Is that easy? No. Do you get to pick and choose when to love? No. God says they will know we are Christians by our love. And so we're told to go out and to receive these blessings. But then the the major thing that he gives to, sorry, wrong way. The major thing he gives to us is his presence. And this should truly begin to overwhelm us that we have the presence of God with you. Because no matter how good a parent you have, no matter how good of a spouse you have, no matter how great a children you have, how great a friend you have, at some point in your life, you will feel alone. You'll feel abandoned. You'll feel like nobody else understands or maybe nobody else even cares. But God... God tells us very clearly, he is the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. It doesn't matter where we go, where we can be found, what we're going through. He is always with us. And he gives this promise to Jacob and he says, I will lead you. I will lead you to where you need to go and I will bring you back safely. The question for us is, will we follow And then he also tells him, and it's the thing that we need to remember more than anything, that God is the one who's faithful. Not you. Not me. It's God who is faithful. He says, I will never leave you, and I will fulfill the promises. God is the one, so we give all glory and honor to him. And where do we see all of this fulfilled? We see it. Here in the Lord's Supper. Jesus came and he shed his blood. He fulfilled the covenant obligations. He shed his blood so that we didn't have to. And because of his perfection, he gives to us a righteousness so that we can come to the table. 
Not because of us, but because of Christ. And so we rejoice to be a part of the family of God, warts and all. Because He is the Father who's always faithful and is always ready for us to run to Him with open arms. So if you have been running from Him, run back to Him today. Be encouraged. Know that He will never leave you or forsake you. And He is your God. And we pray the God of your children and your children's children. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you continually show us how you are faithful. Lord, even when we mess it up, we can never, ever get outside of your perfect love. And Lord, let that be a gift to us, knowing that we are allowed to come to this table boldly, freely, because we come in the blood of Jesus Christ. So Father, don't let us be arrogant, but Lord, truly allow us to understand and grasp that we are the children of God. And we have a right because of Christ's righteousness, to come to the table and sup with you. But Father, you also tell us to tell others about how great of a Father you are, how you're faithful, how you gave your Son as a sacrifice for us. And so, Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit would move, that you would move in this church, that you would move in this community, you would move in this county, that you would continue to draw other brothers and sisters to come and to worship with us. And so, Father, thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace, for they are new every morning. And so, Father, may you receive all glory and honor today and evermore. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.